Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Father Leader, a podcast assessing leadership and what makes someone a good leader. Are they born or are they made? Leadership qualities and more. This is a podcast you want to subscribe if you want to be a better leader. Hi everyone and welcome to... Uh, the Follow the Leader uh, podcast. I'm Ellie Mandelbaum, your host. This podcast is about leadership and what, what makes one a good leader, if they are born or made. In Follow the Leader, I interview a variety of leaders to understand how they became the leader and what makes them effective. In this episode, we are speaking with Russell Robinson, CEO of the JNF, the Jewish National Fund, which was created in 1901. He was, he's not been CEO for that long, just to <laughs> be clear. It, it originally started to buy and cultivate the land in Israel, um, just two stats to give you an idea of how instrumental the JNF has been to building Israel. By 2007, they own uh, 13% of total land in Israel, and they've planted over 240 million trees. That is correct, 240 million trees. And this is, I think the information might be even a little bit outdated. Russell became CEO of the JNF in 1997. Under his leadership, the JNF has been instrumental in developing successful programs for Israel's water crisis, community development, environmental work, um, building out the Negev, um, all of which play a significant role in the quality of life of Israelis. Under his direction, the JNF has become one of the most recognized nonprofits for its work, business, man- business management, financial integrity, and volunteer involvement. Russell, so I know it's a long intro. Um, thank you for coming. Welcome, and I hope I covered everything. If not, you know, feel free to fill in a few of the blanks I might have missed, and I'm sure there's a lot of blanks. Well, thank you, Ali. I think that uh, the the introduction is is uh, is nice. The importance is that it's about what you do with your organization, what the organization does. That's how I look at it. So the introductions and the words are great, but for 118, almost 119 years, literally this month, 119 years, somebody established an organization to bring the Jewish community and unify it. And if you look at its origins which was, as you say, the development of land, but it was the repurchasing of that land of Israel. And that repurchasing of that land of Israel was to return the Jewish people to their ancestral soil. And so I guess, you know, it all deals with even today. 118 years ago, or 117, 116, or 100 years ago, if we would have been a little more unified, if we would have had a little more structure and we would have all done maybe more, you don't know the answer to the question, but would we have had an Israel in 1938 and not 1948? If we would have had an Israel in 1938, it wasn't all because of politics, it was all because of that repurchasing of that land, and, then, and which makes Israel the only nation in the world with a bill of sale. <laughs> Which is an excellent point, um, and, and that is definitely something that a lot of people tend to forget, um, that, <coughs> that there was an organization that really went out to, to repurchase land that we already owned at one point in time. So I'm going to jump into here, and into the conversation, just, you know, going 
quite a bit back, and I want to, you know, I ask a lot of the people that come on the show, you know, growing up, were you, did you take a leadership role? Did you want to be, do you even know, or you were just like one of those kids that just blended in, wanted to be just left alone, went with the flow, or did you stand up and did people follow you? I mean, it was, you know, the question is, when does the leadership quality start? So... It's an interesting question. I don't. I don't believe I ever blended in. I don't think anybody would. You know, my parents for sure would not tell you I blended in. Um, so I think it comes from watching and doing and uh, having activist uh, parents. I think it's a good message out for all parents who have children. I mean, obviously, you're a parent or a child uh, to 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 give that quality because people follow people who are leaders. And I think my parents were leaders in their own way. I think I saw leaders. And I always wanted to make a difference and make a change, and I always felt like I could uh, implement things. And so I was surrounded by a lot of good friends who also were, were good leaders, but I, I think I always uh, wanted to be in the front of the room. And so, you know, so from there, what was the first thing, you know, that you were active in? Like something that you remember that you decided, okay, like, like you're saying, you know, I know when I was younger, in this the 80s, the Soviet jury was rampant. And Avi Weiss, who was a phenomenal person, I used to go to his rallies. And one day I was, you know, I was 12, 13, 14, 15. And, you know, I just went. And that was my, again, I never really parlayed that into a bigger thing. But I know that back then, that's when I was active as an activist in that sense. Was there something that you did, you know, that stuck sticks out in your mind? So I, uh, it kind of goes with my Jewish story because I grew up in a small town in Texas. So I was politically active because one of my neighbors, uh, my, my, my friends, his father was very politically active and in Texas. And so I got to go on road shows, you know, as a, as a small kid, I'm talking about from, from 10, 11 years old. And, and, uh, uh, every time there was a politician came through El Paso, Texas, I you know I, I was there <laughs> only because of who I knew, and I always thought, wow, there was something about that that was exciting to me. And my Jewish story is is that I didn't quite like my Judaism. I grew up uh, um, really disliking it. I went to Sunday school and Talmud Torah class, and and uh, which I you know is, uh, hasn't changed much in all these years. <laughs> And I couldn't wait to make a scene on my bar mitzvah. Now, it's an interesting story because my grandfather, I loved my grandfather. My grandfather was, was religious and my grandfather, I, I, everything about, everything about my, my soul was the love for my grandfather. But I couldn't wait to tell the rabbi uh, the day before my bar mitzvah during the rehearsal that I would never step foot in the synagogue again. It was a movement that I wanted to start with my friends mm -hmm. because I felt they had turned me off so much that they didn't deserve to, to be given any compliments. Mm -hmm. So if you want to talk about activism, it was that activism. And it was later on in life when I went to a convention, a BBYO convention, and I saw Jews dancing and having fun that I never understood that from a Jewish perspective, mm -hmm. that I decided that moment that I would never, ever not tell people how great it is to be a Jewish person. Interesting. So just to touch upon that a second, what, what was the turnoff that, that made you become, make, make you take that stance in your mind? No. Well, I think in the Jewish community, you got to understand that uh, in America, 97% of kids do not go to Jewish day school or, or, or yeshivot. Um, that's 97%. And the, the, the curriculum or the, the course study that you want to have you as a Jewish 
a kid to get bar mitzvah. First off, is only to get you to bar mitzvah. Mm-hmm. So you first off go to Sunday school. What time? Oh, 8.30 in the morning. Wait. So the, you got up every day. So let's get this poor kid up at 8.30. <laughs> let's take him to a Sunday school or a Tomatora class yeah. that's usually underpaid teachers who didn't want to be there to start with. So they come with a little chip on their shoulder or they're just terrible people. Uh, you know, yeah. not people, but teachers. So now you've gone two hours on a Sunday, two hours on two afternoons. That means your football or career or baseball yeah. or that stuff gets put on hold. And you're, this is caused by your Jewish life. And the inspiration of them was oy vey. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and that's why I talk about being proud and fun about being a Jew. I, I take nothing, please. It's a, it's a statement. But I grew up knowing about the Holocaust. I grew up knowing that Jews were the only people who took care of Jews, that nobody liked us, that everybody was trying to kill us, that Israel was on the brink of annihilation, that even at, for my JNF tree, I remember that my teacher would sell on Tubishvat JNF trees because he said, you got to buy one so the soldiers have a place to hide from the terrorists. <laughs> so it was always vague. Why did I want to be part of this losing yeah, uh, culture? Piece? Yeah. And so my expression of my dislike for Judaism wasn't from Judaism. It was from that people didn't teach me what being a Jew was really all about. Interesting. So we're going to move forward a bit more. So, you know, how did you come to the JNF? I mean, so you just mentioned that, you know, your teacher sold, you know, was selling trees and stuff. And again, that's what, you know, I think it was the blue tzedaka boxes mm-hmm. and the trees, right? So right. people, that's when you hear JNF, that's what you, that's... Look at word association. That's what you. That's what you think of. Hundred percent. So that was your first exposure. But what made you want to go? And I think you were in private business beforehand. Right. So what made you want to say? Okay, you know, I I, I got the part where you 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 rekindle with your Judaism aspect to it, right? You're proud to be Jewish, but that doesn't always mean the JNF is. It's a big undertaking. It's like a, you know, it's first of all, people look up to it, right? So it's automatic. It's one of the top. Charities out there, and it's more than just charities. It's, it's really you know a partnership with Israel, right? Because again, you do so much for it, right? You own not land, but you're also now building things. So, what made you want to get involved? So, in my Jewish life, I owned my own carpet cleaning business, and it was very successful. Started from nothing, and my rekindling of figuring out that I wanted to be in the Jewish communal world came about that uh, I was recruited to uh, chair a. a new resident camp that was starting a three-week resident camp in outside of El Paso, Texas for Albuquerque, New Mexico and El Paso, Texas. And the guy that started the camp was the health physical education director of the JCC. And he started out giving me the greatest Jewish lie that goes on with organized life, which is, <laughs> we, I want you to be chairman, but you don't have to do anything. Okay? <laughs> so... A year went by, we planned this thing. He did all the work, I really will tell you. I gave money, and I went out and raised some money for him. I was a young kid, I wasn't even married. I'd never been to camp in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I never knew what it was about. And three weeks before the camp opened, the JCC fired him as the H&P director. Now, the camp was separate, but he got mad, packed up his car, and left. I said, I've been doing this for a year. I, I'm running a big business. I had 18 trucks and a carpet cleaning business. How hard is it to run a three-week resident? It was the hardest job I ever had in my life. <laughs> but again, I saw Jews having a good time, lighting Shabbat candles, dancing, learning about that it was great to be a Jew. 
And as I came back, I still was running my company, the JCC, ended up firing the JCC director. I was volunteering to try to help them there. And somebody said, you're so in love with doing this. Why don't you do this? And I sold my company and I did it. And then I went to go work for, at that time, National UJA. And 21 years ago, I was going back to private business. I had a very good offer of a major corporation. And Ronald Lauder from S.E. Lauder had just taken over the JNF. Mm-hmm. And it was a fledgling organization at the time, and it had gone through its ups and downs. I didn't know Ronald Lauder at the time. Uh, I knew JNF from what you knew, the blue boxes in the trees. And I met a man, and it was a great inspiration, because he was a billionaire who was sitting in front of me under, by the way, he fooled me into an interview because I, uh, 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 I didn't apply. And he kept telling me how he wanted to help the water crisis in Israel. And he was going to change the negative. And I said to him, Mr. Lauder, you're going to be sitting in board meetings with people that you could spend more than their automobile is <laughs> in any given day. And he said, yes. And I said, wow. There's not many billionaires who are willing to do that. And he was talking crazy, water, negative. Who is this guy? And I said, yes. And took this leap of faith that together we started doing that. We were able to create a change in the water catastrophe in here in Israel 21 years ago. Israel was reusing about 4% of its water. Today it's reusing 90% of its water. The highest in the world. Ronald Lauder said we have to change that catastrophe and the American Jewish community gave philanthropically almost $300 million to sewage water which started to prove to me that our connection to Israel was changing it wasn't about oy vey and, 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 and all good causes poor children in war and th- we were able to be sophisticated philanthropists that was a recharging for me that said I'll bet you young people, I bet you people will gravitate to them. We don't have to show a poor kid and say, this is Israel, please give, or I need socks for my soldiers. Let's talk about being part of a nation still under creation. And that's the change and opportunity that I got with Jewish National Fund from that meeting with Ronald Lauder and from saying yes. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty incredible. So, you know, so pretty much he got you on board. And what was your vision when you started, right? So you saw the vision that people were giving more, right? I, I, I mean, from the conversation. And the water, but when you took it, did you say to yourself, okay, we need to rebrand or we need to come up with a, a better um, you know, mission statement that, that, we, that we currently have been using, right? Because, again, people evolve. As people evolve, you know, you know yeah. But that's, uh, that's the thing. Mission statements are important, branding is important, but when people get caught up in branding and mission statements, they lose the, the fun. We decided we were going to be a business, first off. Now, it could be a family business, but it's a business. So, two plus two equals four. Nonprofit is a tax status, not a philosophy. And so, it wasn't trying to figure out how we, oh, it's okay, we lost money. What do you mean it's okay, we lost money? We have to have plans. We have to think of things. We have to get people involved. And one of the things that I discovered that hit me very hard in the nonprofit world was I had a great opportunity to raise money for great causes from people who made money. So if I'm very, very smart, 
I'm going to suck every bit of their knowledge and utilize it for our business, involvement of people. So I got them to give money and give their time and then give their intellect, their involvement, their advice, their hands deep in the soil so it goes back to the beginning of the ancestral soil. And so thousands of volunteers later, that's our winning formula, is come in, give money, but be part of it as well. So the changes we've made in the Negev and now in the Galil, the changes we made with the water, I want to tell you it's because we were brilliant people. We had brilliant people with us. There was people, there's a doctor from Colorado, uh, uh, Dr. Mort Moore, who invented the heart defibrillator. I, when Mort started giving to water, he knew about heart defibrillator. He's now one of the foremost experts in water because he got involved. He speaks about recycled water, reused water, changing the water. I can give you thousands of those stories. It was getting people and saying that you could be a leader by sharing. And that is something that we forget. The branding is important. The business formula is important. You have to have X's and O's and make sure that they're all going to be in line. And you've got to make sure you look good and you look professional. And for the 21st century, we have to, as organizations, especially Jewish organizations, be winning looking. And that means that we don't serve, and this came out, I'll give it to Ronald Lauder again. I, we don't, it's like a rules at JNF. If you want to serve Edmund's donuts in the box, you're fired. Take them out and put them on a beautiful plate. Mm-hmm. It makes a difference to that person who walks in. Style, substance, backing it up with business acumen and involvement. And so, you know, so that, is that the way you communicated it, is, is through st- the style? But again, you know, getting people to buy into your vision is, is, is not an easy thing, right? And you, what you're saying is, you, you know, not only did you get them to donate, but you also got them to donate, I should say, let me go back, donate money, but also donate time, right? Get more involved, which is not an easy thing to do. You know, if you give up some ownership, one of the problems in nonprofit world, not just Jewish, is the CEOs are believe that they're the CEOs of an organization that only will rest on them. What they are, they have a tool, the Jewish National Fund. That's a tool of involving and engaging the Jewish world. If you think of it that way and if you share that piece, that means you've got to, listen, in this business, I'm hopefully going to involve you so much engage you so much that you're going to have as much information and knowledge as me. Now, human nature doesn't go well with that in leadership. Usually you like to be a little more powerful because it's a rabbinic mm-hmm. piece. Okay? Uh, no, in all respect, you want to be able to stand there and raise your hand and have the <laughs> congregational rise. Yeah. I don't want to raise my hand. I want the congregation to raise their hand and everybody to rise. So it's sharing. It's information. It's business acumen, but I'm going to challenge you on, on, on inspiration and vision. And that's just this past week. You know, the past week, uh, Star Wars just came out with the newest mm-hmm. movie. So I think number series 700, okay? It made $2 billion in a week. Now, if you did a documentary on one of the most inspirational people of the world, you'd make like $4. <laughs> Why? everybody's looking for inspiration, vision. Everybody's looking for dreams. That's why Superman movies and Spider-Man movies and what we have to do, have to, at the Jewish community is give the inspiration. 
We have it. We have to paint the pictures of the Star Wars and the Avengers, and we're all of it. And our young people at Jewish National Fund, the fastest growing part of our donor demographic is our 22 to 40 year olds. Which is a key demographic. Key demographic. We have, we had a conference this year, uh, our annual conference, almost 1,400 people, over 500 of them were under the age of 40. And so how do you think you got them? I mean, so again, this is going back, right? So sharing, you know, information, you know, but get, getting those kids in, okay, so let's go back. So with like Nefesh Benefesh, right? We know the kids make Aliyah, they're going to go there, right? Lekka too, Lekka comes, a lot of parents bring their kids, a lot of summer programs, they go. The JNF though, how do you get kids to donate? Because that's not an easy thing to do to get millennials to donate money. Right. If you inspire them, and again, you engage them as well, and you don't give them away vain. <laughs> and I have to tell you, it's a Jewish uh, issue. We, I want to sell you an iPhone. So let me tell you how I'm going to sell it to you. Listen, I don't know if this company is going to be in business much longer. You know, everybody wants to beat up this company. You know, it's on the brink of annihilation. By the way, would you like to invest? <laughs> At the end of the day... We are the greatest investment in the history of mankind. There's no other people that have been around as long as us. <laughs> By the way, you want to tell to me about Israel? 119 years ago, some people did an IPO called the Jewish National Fund. Not a bad return on your investment. And if you talk that way, but really mean it, mm-hmm. and talk it, I'm being simplistic, but I can yeah. be very uh, uh, detailed with it. We have in this, in the country today, in December, 417 people under the age of 40 are here in Israel on 20 different groups. From the north to the south. They're not going to the halls of the Knesset. But they are going to the streets of Sterot and Kiryat Shemona and the Arava. And they're meeting Israelis. And they're getting to know Israelis. When I say real Israelis, not the Israelis that you're just going to sit around and talk about. Uh, nothing. You're talking about Israelis for the inspiration and the spirit of the 21st century pioneers. Doers. Doers. And they're there. And that inspires young people to want to be part of that. So, so after the young, so after those, these programs, do they come back? Are they, you know, how, how, how do you get them more, you know, how do you take what they're doing now and translating it into, like, again, in a business, return on investment, right? Uh. So happy you asked. <laughs> so we have a platform, and it's a software platform, but it's a platform of, of, of operations called From Birth to the Boardroom. Mm-hmm. We had another name. If I say it, my marketing people will be upset, but I'm going <laughs> to tell you anyway because you know, they'll do it. We, I tried to call it From Blue Box to the Pine Box, but they didn't like that. <laughs> but the point of it, Ellie, is this. We want to inspire somebody and stay. If you're going to invest into a fourth grader who bought a tree certificate mm-hmm. or put money in a blue box, it's an investment. Jewish National Fund did not make a lot of money with the blue boxes and, 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 and the tree certificates. It's an investment of engagement. Don't I want to stay with that person? 
So we have not only a software, but an engagement program that how do we follow them from birth to the boardroom so that when they come and they're buying a tree certificate, that's why we purchased the Alexander Musk High School in Israel, which we took from 800 students going on a semester abroad during their high school years to Israel to 1,500 a year, and we're not happy until we get to 5,000. And every one of those, we're trying to find where exactly they go to college. When they go to college, we deliver to their dorms a blue box full of Bombas and Beasleys and coffee mugs and tell them about our organization. And then our college activist department works with them. And as we're going to college, they can come on volunteer, birthright, volunteer vacation, uh, all the programs, alternative winter break, and then and our positive Israel programs on college campus. And then when they graduate, and remember the Jewish community is coming to Israel like my daughter did, or to Los Angeles, and even though you grew up in down New York or Peoria, you're going somewhere, that's the Jewish community, we're following them to wherever they move to, and then we're engaging them in the JNF future, and then we're engaging them into the JNF uh, system, and hopefully their pictures are in the boardrooms of organizations in our future. So, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point, and this is really where, you know, one of the, you know, questions is vision, right? How did you come to that? How, when did you realize that more needed to be done with the youth, right? With, with, with really the, you know, the, the you know, teenagers, college students and, 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 you know, getting them, you know, college students, etc. When did you realize that shift, right? When did you make that conscious effort to say, okay, we need to come up with a game plan? Right, you come up with a game plan, and because your game plan sounds really, I mean, again, you take them from the beginning, and you're ushering them through, like in a sense, uh, uh, you know, I'll dumb it down, but you know, pretty much through a, you know, uh, you know, manufacturing plan, right? You one, one step, two step, three step, and you bring them back out, and all of a sudden, I, I, again, your return on investment, I get, I understand, there, but like, when did you come up with that? When did you realize? When you look at the Jewish community and our lay leadership, and all us looked at it and studied it. So if you think the Jewish community has some ills in America. And I question some of the propaganda I believe is wrong. I think that it's a great Jewish community. But there are ills. So now let's take statistics, because you've got to take data. Mm. 25 years ago, 19,000 teenagers from America came to Israel for four weeks or more programs. 19,000. 25 years later, 3,000. 3,000 on programs of four weeks or more. And every study tells you that high school years is the most influential year you could impact. And you have to come for programs of four weeks or more because less, it just doesn't. It's just all the statistics, every data study. So you want to come up with a teenage program for 10 days? It's a waste of money. So we decided that that's why we purchased the Alexander Musk High School in Israel and we're putting together other programs and other partnerships because all ships should rise. If the Jewish National Fund wants to be in business for another 118 years, by the way, the OU has to have people and BYO has to have people and USY has to have people because all of them have to rise. So we have to come back into the high school years. And if you're looking at Israel and the relationship between the diaspora, it can't be on philanthropic giving to the poor or philanthropic giving because it's at the brink of it. It has to be a partnership. And in that partnership, you have to get them to talk to people. So you have to talk to real, when I say real Israelis, I don't mean the politicians yeah. are not real, but you know what I mean. People yeah. come and they have all these things and with professors and, 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 and think tanks. Guess what? Most of them, people are not in think tanks, okay? They're just people doing their, their work every day. We realized that in Jewish National Fund and we decided that we were a tool, a tool for the Jewish community. 
And that is an important distinction too of our organization, is that our lay leaders made a decision, our board of directors and our lay leaders, because to invest in the future, you don't quite get to see the return. If I build a building, I put your name up on the building, it's there, I, I have a ribbon cutting. I'm investing in a fourth grader, you're probably not gonna see the return on investment, so you gotta believe. You gotta believe in tomorrow. And our lay leadership and our leadership at Jewish National Fund does. Was that a hard sell to the board? It's not a hard sell, but it's something that you have to have that conversation and you have to be willing to have the conversation and the ones who buy into it quickly have to have that conversation and you have to keep having it. It's, you don't have something to show, so you have to talk about it. And then you have to show, you have to get them to believe in tomorrow. That's putting money into it. It's not going into another something else. Mm -hmm. And I give, that is where if you really involve your lay leaders and you share power and share information, they're not following you, they're walking with you. No, I, I hear that. And so, you know, what, what was some of the, you know, projects or campaigns that stood out for you, you know, really was momentous? Like one of the, you know, highlights that you thought like, wow, you know, I did not even think that was possible when I started. So I'll start with the water because I didn't know anything about water. I've become somewhat uh, knowledgeable about it and, and to change the water um, uh, catastrophe that Israel was facing. Catastrophe, by the way, I didn't know this till recently when I read a book called uh, Let There Be Water by uh, Seth Siegel that in the history of the world, no civilization has faced a water catastrophe and survived. They've moved. But the Jewish people had nowhere to move. So we had to deal with that catastrophe. It's still a crisis, but it's not a catastrophe. And I said, wow, we were able to make those changes. The Negev, 60% of the land of Israel, 60, and only 6% of the population was there. Today, we started working in Beersheba 18 years ago. It was 191,000 people losing 3% a year. Today, it's 250,000 people, the fastest growing city in Israel. And Jewish National Fund built a seven-mile river walk. We just opened a 29-acre lake in Beersheba, where I will tell you where we sat, there was nothing but garbage there. And we, Abraham's well that was behind the locked fences is 310,000 visitors. We have a 13,000-seat amphitheater. We've changed the image of Beersheba together with the people of Beersheba. And we can walk in our people. Our lay people can tell you the streets of Beersheba and the restaurants of Beersheba and, and the places because they don't stay just in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. I am there going to Beersheba. I, who would have imagined that when I saw the lake open last month, I, and look, at it, it was 11 years of my life, and I, I can tell you the details of the plan. I can tell you how deep it is, how many screws and cement we used. But I'm always amazed. Because when you're able to do it, you say, well. And then you look around at the people that did it with you, and they're saying, well. And then they're saying, let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. And so my inspiration comes from that excitement that it's not ever looking at anything and saying, well, we've done it. It's, wow, we've done it, let's keep going. That's how the Jewish people have been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. I, I agree with that. <laughs> and, 
You know, I, you know, talking about, I want to move on to more of your, you know, management style. I mean, do you, do you encourage creative thinking? I mean, do you, you know, because again, I, you, you definitely are not a one-man shop, right? You have a team with you. I have you. a whole great team of professionals in executive management, senior management. So I will tell you, Ellie, that I only want people who are going to come in and challenge. Uh, there's no desire. Uh, you cannot stand to be around Russell Robinson if you're not ready to come toe-to-toe and challenge. I want you to be prepared. I will, and you can talk to any of my people who work for me, I will challenge them and I will uh, uh, really go toe-to-toe with you on it. Because I want you to come and back and be prepared. If you're not, go back to be prepared. But if you're coming to me only with the problems without even thinking of solutions, you will not last in a Russell Robinson club. <laughs> If you're coming to me with problems, with potential solutions, it may not be the solution and we may have to work it out, but don't come to me just with the problem. Come to me with your thoughts and solution. Look at things, see it, and be part of it. We have a great executive management team, so I'm very proud too. It's not like a, a token. I mean, I have uh, the same amount of women as I do men. Uh, my new COO is a young woman, uh, um, and, and my CFO is a guy who's been with me for the day I started. Uh, we have all different kinds of people from different backgrounds, and we come together, and sometimes it becomes some heated piece, and that's great. And we're all into that, let's come, but come with solutions. When you, when you bring people on, what qualities do you look for? Are, are you viewing them as leaders in their own right, or are you looking at them, you know, what are the, some of the qualities? Maybe that's a two-part question, really. Is, you know, what do you look for when you bring people on you know, into your company. Besides, again, standing toe to toe, I totally get right. You don't want someone who's just a yes person. No. Yes, people. Yes, and people. I want just... people who want to become. I want people who could see issues. I want people. I, I, I've interviewed a lot. You know, in your time, you mm-hmm. see, I and mean, you hear people. Well, I hear it's such a great place, and I, I'm sure that you know that I, I could be part of the addition to just. With, I don't want an addition. I want you to change. <laughs> No organization should ever sit on what it has. Our, from our T, IT department, small IT department, but our systems of software and what we've created is something unbelievable. And every day we're challenging ourselves to be better to our operation. We don't have, by the way, Jewish National Fund. I have, we have 57 offices around the United States, but we have zero square footage. What does that mean? is that our people work in four um, administration centers, handles them. So if you call Denver, Colorado, you're calling Van Nuys, California. When you have an event in Denver, Colorado with 1,500 people come, not one invitation comes out of Denver, it comes out of Van Nuys, California. Now one invitation goes back to Denver, it goes there. The, the event planner is in Van Nuys, California. The administration help, all the information is there. I have my people in Denver who are working in the fundraising, the programmatic, but we have four administration centers that handle that. That means because in today's world, you don't need to have, in that old day of somebody sitting outside of your desk, you have to have people that are competent to do the work. So that when you go to a JNF event in Denver, or you go to a JNF event in Seattle or New York, they look the same, they, they, they feel the same. It's the same professionalism, but different administrative centers. And by the way, when there is a, a snowstorm in, in Chicago, which is one of our centers, and they can't go to work, the phones are switched over by floor. That's a lot of, of, of different kind of working models that you have to have, but it's the 21st century working model. All of our communication, our marketing, we're, we're, you know, we, we look at it, how do we 
share with what's going on with Israel when, so when special in uniforms is putting out a Jane something on Jane if it's going to the same Google search thing that comes from our executive management that's great professionalism and and, and that's the challenge that we have to be keep changing got it and so you know one of the things that I, I was reading when I was you know researching this is you know you work a lot with you know disabilities right you're working what made you <coughs> excuse me what made you want to Go that rap. Once again, you're not you're not just one. Don't focus on just one aspect, right? You're focusing on a number of different things, and it all comes back to, you know, you know the the, the, the Jewish aspect, right? It, it, we're a nation, but you know, how do you get involved with the you know working with disabilities? Great question, because it's a it's a question about where you started called vision. So I constantly give the story that we don't do any projects. We do vision, and under vision are a lot of projects. But in our work in disabilities, I'll give you a for instance and how it works. We don't do disabilities in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or Haifa. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you the difference. The difference is, is that we do, a, 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 one of our affiliates is Ale Negev. It's a place, there's nowhere like it on the face of the earth for people with mental disabilities. And there's building a new rehabilitation hospital there. And I, have to, I can tell you for hours, it's the finest place on the face of the earth for the residents, for the family, for everybody. And if it was in Haifa, I wouldn't talk about it. Or Yerushalayim or Tel Aviv. But it's in Ofakim. And when it started, Ofakim had a community of 28,000 with an unemployment of 25%. Hmm. When Ale Negev is complete with its rehabilitation hospital, it'll be over 1,000 employees. Almost 350 of them will be doctors and nurses. When we started, Ofakim didn't have doctors and nurses, but that's 17 now. So you get to change an entire area and population and do a triple mitzvah to help people with disabilities. When you were working with our therapeutic writing center down in the Aravah, it's because if you have a family of five and one of the members of the family have a disability, what do you do? You move. If there's no services, you don't lose one, you lose five. Well, we're going to population growth. So our work with disabilities is also a rippling effect of what our vision is. And so it doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of a real thorough strategic thinking. So I like the ripple effect. I mean, that is definitely, you know, the, a good way of saying it. Because, you know, everything that you're saying is blending into the main, into the main mission, right? And so, you know, that, <coughs> that's something that's a, a really an interesting perspective. So we're going to wind it down a few, just a few more questions. So what are some of the leadership qualities you look you, you know you you look for or, or you think people should have? I think people have to have a leadership quality that comes out very clear in everything that you do is that first off you're willing to do that you're willing to wash the windows and serve the water and if you think that uh, cleaning the floor is uh, at an event or, or whatever it may be, I could see a leader. I can see the leader and not the leader. The, not the leader is the one that finished speaking at the podium or at the, the CEO of an organization and I see them walking out and I see all their people pulling down banners and, and I don't see that person turning and asking, can I help you? You have to trust that every single member of your, you have to have that in you, that every single member of your team is making you a success. The maintenance man of the building a woman, if they don't do their job, you're not a success. And if you don't understand that, you will fail. Leadership quality is passion. You got to, 
you sometimes you can't express it. Some people don't have the voice for it, but you gotta have it. You gotta feel it. You gotta understand it. You gotta be willing to have a tear and have a smile and have a laugh. You have to have a sense of humor. <laughs> if you're not gonna laugh, though, you know you'll never get through. And then you just have to care. Knowledge is something gained in all sorts of different levels. You could be a Harvard graduate or a graduate from the University of Texas at El Paso, but uh, whatever is higher, I'm not yeah. sure. Uh, but those are knowledge-based pieces, and there's a lot of very brilliant people. But if you take leadership qualities of the evil, mm-hmm. evil, ISIS, Hitler, they inspire people without morals, without ethics. If we don't decide that from a kid who's going to be a leader, or we don't inspire people or our children to be a leader, evil will win. I believe that evil loses because good takes over because leadership is taught, not born with, Mm -hmm. taught, shown. You're encouraging your child, whatever leadership may be. Leadership is one or two or 15 or five, but the world, mostly is followers, if you have any inkling to be in the front of the room, you better do it. You could save the world. So, what is one of the what is one of the bigger challenges you think you're facing today with the JNF? So, I think that uh, my my current president, Saul Usabrand, gave me a good because when you're going through a lot of catharsis and, and pieces with it, he said, "You know, I I, I feel your pain." I said, "Well." Okay, thank you. He said, but you've got to understand what pain you're having. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, you're having growing pains. <laughs> Isn't growing pains a lot better than dying pains? <laughs> and so all of a sudden put in perspective for me that said, wow, we're going through growing pains. When you become large, and if you take all of our assets per year and our endowments, it's $400 million, $500 million corporation, plus all the projects that you have and going and ongoing management. But you want to be bigger. You want to do bigger. You want to get more people involved. So those growing pains are very difficult. They're almost as tough as when you're suffering reorganization or dying pains. So you have to realize that, yeah, they're stressful. But isn't it a great pain to have? So I think the greatest challenge that we have at Jewish National Fund is that growing pain. It's challenging. You have to maneuver just as much as anything else. But, wow, at the end of the day, it's going to be fun. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, just a, well, uh, pretty much one more question. We're going we're to end it over here. Boys. It's getting a little late. You know, <coughs> what advice would you give to someone going into a leadership position? Understand what leadership is. And I tell our young people this on our leadership programs and so on. If you're a real leader, you're going to get frustrated. If you're a real leader, you're going to get shoved off the ladder. If you're a real leader, you're going to face all sorts of adversities. You can go and take your ball and go play it another game. But if you're a real leader, you'll stick with it. The idea is how to get people to join you, to debate to push, but also know that at some point, maybe you're not 100% right, and the organization and bringing people along is a great opportunity that you have. And if you're gonna be one of those people that can't take loss, 
you can't take frustration, you can't take the person in the corner of the room talking for three hours about nonsense. You're not a leader. And I'll bring it back to the Ronald Lauder story. Ronald Lauder led our organization for six years as our president. He sat at the head of the table every month to our board of directors meeting. He lost many votes. As a billionaire, he has his own foundation. No, he doesn't lose any votes there. <laughs> but he stood with it, and he stays with it today. Be a leader and stay with it. You'll have those frustrations, but the wins are so better. An organized Jewish world, don't do it on your own. Ellie, I'm so focused on this. There's so many people that want to do things. I'm just going to do it on our own. Philanthropy is not that. Philanthropy is getting people to join you. That is the essence of tzedakah. It is not to do something on your own. It is to get other people to join you. And if you want to do it on your own, God bless you. You'll do great things, but you'll never change the world. Get into an organization. Put your name there. Change the world. Be part of the organized Jewish world. Get people to join you. Make it happen. Well, that's a great way to end it. And I definitely agree with you. I mean... You know, I definitely, you know, first, I appreciate your time. I think you definitely, uh, I learned a lot of stuff here. Um, and I definitely agree with changing the world. You have to do with others. You definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's not one person. You know, you have to get other people to collaborate and to really help and, and, and push things along. So, you know, again, thank you so much. Um, and with that, I'm going to end it. So if you're listening, and I'm sure you are, please don't forget to subscribe and spread the word and give us a five-star review on iTunes or Google or Spotify or iHeartRadio or any other platform. We're on all of them. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends about it as well. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Lastly, don't forget to check out my other podcast, Plugged In. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.